1: It is my privilege to be here with you guys this morning at Elevate Church. As Mark said, my name is Amit. I do represent Compassion Australia, but more than that, I am here as a brother in faith. Uh, So it is good to be with my family here this morning and to share some updates with you. I don't know, who here has not heard of Compassion? No hands went up. Oh, one hand went up. All right, so... um, Let me just go through some of what the partnership between Elevate and Compassion looks like and then I'm very briefly going to touch on who we are as a ministry and an organisation. So uh, because through this church and the partnership that Mark was talking about we've had now for over a decade, uh, there are over 30 children that are being released from poverty in Jesus' name as a result of this community and man that is worth celebrating, that really is worth celebrating. And more than that, over the past decade, as we have partnered together, this congregation has released more than $100,000 in funds towards projects to affect not just children, but their families and their entire communities. Uh, this here, uh, we talk about, have you guys heard of the word legacy? It's one of my favourite words and let me share with you the way that I understand this particular word. Now, the way that it's been taught to me is the idea of legacy is the, uh, the seeds that we're planting today uh, whose shade and fruit, those trees, we may never get to enjoy. But if we don't plant those seeds now, uh, those fruit and that shade may never come. And so what I've just shared with you about these, these 30 young children, And about all those funds that have been released through this church, folks, Elevate is planting these seeds that are going to provide fruit and shade well after our time here on earth is done. That is is amazing. So thank you so much to this church and the community for doing that. For those of you who don't know much about compassion, there's just three things that you need to know. The first one is that we are Christ-centered, So our tagline is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Those last three words, we will never compromise on. So we believe that it is the death, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus that not only unites us as a family, but that is also the very thing that breaks poverty in a child's life. So we can address the academic, the emotional, the social, the financial. We can address all of those things and we need to. But until we actually address the spiritual, a child and a family will never experience true restoration. It is a crucial part, and so we believe that it is discipling these children through local churches that is a big part of the key to releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. So that's how Christ entered, and that's our expression of that. In regards to being child-focused, we believe that every single child should be known by name. Loved, cared for, and have the opportunity to be discipled. They may choose not to follow Jesus. They may choose to follow Jesus, but they should at least have the choice. And then the third thing, and the way that compassion does all of its work, is through local churches just like this. So you won't find a big compassion building where all these kids come to the compassion program. Everything that we do is through local churches that have been in those communities for a long time. It's run by local leaders who have grown up in those very communities and cultures. They're the ones that drive everything. Our privilege is to come alongside them who are already living out the gospel and to see how can we amplify that even more. So in the 27 countries that we work in, that looks like over 8,000 local church partnerships. So Mark talked a little bit before around how in 2020 when when COVID hit and the impact of that was really starting to be felt in tangible and practical ways, uh, Compassion had to pivot literally overnight. And the the reason we were able to do that is because we're not here in Australia telling our brothers and sisters in the Philippines what to do. They're telling us, this is how you can support us because this is what we need to do. And, And that's how we work. Everything is locally driven. And it's a big part of difference between us and others. But this is who we are and what we do. So Elevate Church on behalf of all of those families through the Philippines that you are focusing on releasing from poverty in Jesus' name. I'm here on their behalf this morning to say thank you to you. Um, Before we open the word together this morning, why don't you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Father, we want to thank you for this time uh, that we can share. We want to thank you for our brothers and sisters over in the Philippines and not just there but across the globe who are um, experiencing all sorts of hardships and difficulties right now. Father, we thank you for this part of our family. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that even as we are gathered here this morning, in Rivervale, that over there, Father, you would be visiting them, that you would be comforting them, that you would be giving them your peace, that they would know in such a tangible way uh, the presence of our risen Jesus. And Father, for those across the globe that don't have the freedom to open your word in the way that we are about to now, Father, we bring those brothers and sisters of ours before you as well. May the strength and the courage that they continually show to stand firm on your truth in amongst all that opposition that they face on a daily basis. Father, may we learn from them. May they today know that we are standing with them, that they are not forgotten. But Father, for us here this morning, may we walk out of here different to the way that we've walked in and may that difference be an encounter with you. Father, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I was going to share with you the story about a brother of mine called Reverend Lee. For the sake of time, I'm going to pass over that. But if you'd like to find out about his story, come and speak to me after the service. I'm more than happy to share that with you. But I want to open up two passages of Scripture with you specifically this morning. Uh, These two have been greatly stirring me uh, in recent times. And I don't think it's fair that I should just be stirred alone. I think we all should get stirred by this stuff. And so I want you, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If you don't have it there, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Brad, that's slide number nine, if we're following along. And it reads in this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, Will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus talking about? These are his exact words as recorded for us through the Gospel of Matthew. What does he mean when he says, Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me? And here's what it is that's been stirring me greatly because Jesus gives this response to the question that's been asked of what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of him? And this is how Jesus responds to that question. But this is what has been concerning me. In our day and age, in our culture here in Perth, June 2022, what does it mean to be a disciple? Would others who are looking at the church realise that this is what it means to be a disciple? I don't know if we could honestly, hand on heart, say this is the testimony that we are bringing to those who are searching. Because this is what I find, and I'll speak personally here, not just about externals. Too often, what we are striving for is comfort and security. That's what we're striving for. Folks, is that what my Jesus went to the cross for? Man, I'm having to ask myself this question over and over and over again. Is that what my Jesus went to the cross for? Did he go to the cross so that I could be immune to the pain and suffering of this world? Did Jesus go to the cross so that I could get comfortable in my life? That I could accumulate my wealth? That I could have all sorts of security? Is that what my Jesus went to the cross for? See, what I feel that we have even done within the church... Folks, I'm saying this in love. What I feel that we have done is we've actually discipled people to attend a service or be part of a program. I don't know if that's what my Jesus went completely to the cross for. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I think to gather is super important. I think to have programs to help us to grow as followers of Jesus is very important. And how blessed are we to be able to do this? I'm, so, I'm not saying not to do this, but you know, I spent seventeen years as an educator working in schools and universities and so much of what we do with our students these days is we try and get them to be polite, to behave well, to not sleep around, to not drink, to, to not do drugs, to to not to not to not to not and we've had, we're not even putting down there the calling of the kingdom. There is a mission that is worth living and dying for, and it's the mission that God has given us to live out. It is worth losing yourself for, because when you lose yourself for this mission, that is when you will find yourself. What part of that is be happy with coming to a Sunday morning service? I don't think it's there. So when Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, how would his audience have heard these three things? What would this have meant to them? You see, the denying of self is very different to self-denial. Self-denial is like a a practice or a habit that you or or I may put into place to, uh, maybe for a good purpose or reason. Uh, Maybe we're going to stop going online before we go to bed. Maybe we're going to be like Jess and snack on carrots every morning. Maybe it could could be a multiple range, it could be anything, but we might want to um, practice some self-denial. So instead of the chocolate bar, we do go for the carrot. Um, Instead of going for our phones to scroll through whatever before we go to sleep, maybe we'll just spend some time in prayer or even talk to our spouses. Maybe. But... When we're talking about denying of self, it's actually completely countercultural because the world tells you to indulge the self. And Jesus is saying to deny the self. If you want to unpack all these indulgences that are there, meant Paul way back in the day, Galatians 5, he maps it all out, folks. It's like he was looking at our world today and wrote about it this morning. Go and do yourself a favor and just read through that letter to the church in Galatia. He understands what it means to indulge the self. And Jesus putting on flesh and walking on this earth also understood what it meant to indulge the self. And in fact, if you go back to when Jesus was first baptised and the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness for 40 days, you look at the way that Satan tempted him and he was offering ways for Jesus in his weak state to indulge the self. But Jesus knows what it means to deny the self, and He's asking and He's commanding you and I, as His followers, to do the same. And what does it mean to pick up your cross? Uh, This wasn't just a a workout routine back in the day. To pick up your cross, it evoked all sorts of images like shame and dishonour and humiliation and and agony and pain and and all of these things. That's what it meant to pick up your cross. It wasn't a a past time. It wasn't an exercise program. It wasn't um, a metaphor. People would have heard Jesus saying that and it meant only one thing, a pathway to search and death. The only time people picked up a cross back in those days was when they had to march to the very place that they themselves would then be hung on that thing. And so when Jesus answers the question that's posed to him of what does it mean to be a disciple, he says, deny yourself, stop indulging your flesh, live a countercultural life. Pick up your cross. Yes, what I'm calling you to is going to lead to a certain death, but I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I have not walked myself. So pick up your cross and follow me. And then he backs it up with that other sentence. See, those who would want to save their life, who would want to get that comfort, that security to, to maybe indulge the self a little bit, just a little bit's okay, and, and maybe not to pick up the cross because ah, it's, too, it's too... But I'll, I'll go to a service. Um, I'll, I'll give where I can. Um, I'll be polite. I won't sleep around. I won't drink too much. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. Man, we've lost it. That's not what my Jesus went to the cross for. And he's saying to follow me down this path. So really what Jesus is saying is this, on a daily basis... Choose to walk down death row and give it all away. I don't know if you'd put that on a flyer for inviting people to church. (laughs) But nothing less than that is what Jesus is calling us to, folks. And when we are willing to give it all away, that is when we are truly going to find life. It's when we're truly going to find it. Um, I didn't have this in my notes, but I am going to share this with you. Uh, A couple of years ago, Um, on the 13th and the 14th of May 2020, I got diagnosed with cancer. And the journey that we've been going on has literally meant that I'm only allowed to live within view six months at a time. And on that weekend, so that was a a Wednesday and a Thursday that that diagnosis took place, and on the Monday I was having my surgery, that weekend was such a beautiful moment in my life. It was not easy, but it was so beautiful. And let me tell you why it was so beautiful. The journey that we went on, and I can share that story with you another time, but it led me to Monday morning walking down my driveway towards my dad's car. and My dad was taking me for my surgery. My prayer in that moment was this. I felt like those guys leaving uh, the old town back in the day where if they turned around, they'd get turned into a pillar of salt. So I'm like, I'm not going to turn around and look at my home. I'm not. I've said bye to my family. That's fine. I'm walking down here and I'm going to focus on what's ahead of me. But my prayer as I was walking down the driveway was this. Father, if this is an end to my story, if this is my full stop, two things I would boldly ask is your son. Number one, please don't let my wife be lonely. And number two, please don't let my kids be without a father figure. We've got four beautiful children. Don't don't let my wife be lonely and don't let my kids be without a father figure. But if this is a full stop to my story, then I'm coming home. I had such an assurance of my salvation. It was beautiful. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit minister to me and saying, Son, with me, there's never a full stop. It's always just commas. The story continues. We have to stop living with this very short physical existence as our Alpha and Omega. Because it's not, folks, this is not the be all and end all. It's not. There is so much more. And if you understand and if you want to find out what more really could be, then the way you need to do that is to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus and be willing to lose it all for the sake of his kingdom. Because when you do, that is when you will find life. And only then. So where do we see this uh, lived out in scripture? Where is an example of this? And it leads me to my second passage that I want to unpack with you this morning. In Acts chapter 9. If you don't have it in front of you, it'll be on the screen. But let me read this to you. Verses 10 to 19. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. He heard his audible voice. That's wild. Don't overlook that too quickly. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas." Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Folks, do not miss the lead up to this particular passage, Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 19. At the start of Acts chapter 9, we are told there that Saul was breathing threats and murder against the people of Jesus. The reputation he had was that he was a hitman and proud of it. And his life goal, his dream, his ambition was to eradicate the world from followers of the way, disciples of Jesus. That's what he had set himself apart to do. And to the point where he got permission and was blessed by the chief priest to go and find these radical disciples and bind them up and bring them in so they can be judged. So um, Saul at that stage had no context or understanding as far as I am aware of the encounter that Saul had on the road to Emmaus. He did not know. As far as I'm aware, that Saul had been visited by Jesus and the two people that were there with Saul had heard and seen what had gone on and he was struck blind on his way down to do what he was planning to do. Then he arrived in Damascus and we're told there um, in Acts 9, I think it's uh, in verse 9, that he remained without sight, food and drink for three days. Ananias had no context of this. All he knew is that this guy called Saul was coming to his town to get him and his brothers and sisters in Christ and bind them up, take them before the chief priest so they could be judged. And in this vision, he hears the audible voice of God. He wakes up and says, here I am, Lord. And then he hears the Lord give him this command to go to this man. Oh, if that is not a deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me moment right there, I don't know what is. Can you imagine if Ananias had said, oh, too difficult. (laughs) Man, it's it's late at night. I'm tired. I've got to get ready for church tomorrow morning. (laughs) Oh, man. Can you imagine if that was his response? Now, his response was, uh, Jesus, just so you know, this bloke who you're telling me to go and visit, uh, this is the guy? The one who's been breathing threats and murder against us? Uh, The one who's been... uh, permissioned by the chief priest to to come and collect and round up and bind us all and take us for judgment? This is the guy? Are are you sure? And then the Lord's response to Ananias was, go. And so what we see with Ananias as a disciple of Jesus is not just radical obedience, but we see complete surrender. Because after Jesus tells him to go, Go, and this is why, and he will regain his sight, and this is what he will do. He is my chosen instrument to bring the message to all of these groups of people. We just see here, what's the next thing we read about? So Ananias departed. He just gets up and goes. All right, well, if this is the path you're calling me to walk, I guess this is it. He was willing to lose his life. And that is when he truly found it. And then to walk into that home, again, having no context of what was going on, to lay his hands on this man who was there to bind them all and to say, Brother Saul. Oh, man. Folks, this state This is wild. This is wild. We're listening to our brothers and sisters on the screen from the Philippines and listening to how they're living out the gospel and saving these kids from all these online predators and how they're serving the families that are in great need and, and living out the gospel and bringing hope to these people. That is wild. Then we read about Ananias and he's like, well, I guess if you're telling me to go to this bloke, I'll just take myself to him. I'm just going to go We're going to, and I'm going to call him Brother. And we're going to see something like scales fall from his eyes. And then not only the very man that was here to bind us all, we're going to see healed, and then I'm going to baptise. Like This is wild, folks. This is completely wild, but this is nothing less than what it means to live out the kingdom of God. So if you are, in your existence, thinking my life is so plain, ordinary, and mundane, then maybe we need to step out of comfort and security and embrace the wild adventure of the kingdom and be willing to ourselves deny, pick up the cross, and follow Jesus, and be willing to lose our lives as a result, because that is when we will find it. Let me read for you uh, this testimony of my brother, Jean-Claude. So this is Jean-Claude. He's from Rwanda. Uh, he grew up in a period of time in Rwanda's history that we know is a Rwandan genocide. You've got these two warring tribes, the Tutsi and the Hutu, that are going against each other. And as a result of this battle, Jean-Claude lost his family. His parents were, were killed during this time. When the Compassion Program was able to resume in Rwanda, this was one of the young children that was sponsored into the program. And he was there... At the local church, taking part in the compassion program, not knowing that he would be sitting next to potentially the children of the very people who may have taken his parents' lives. Can you imagine the battle that would have been waged in this man? That's horrendous. But in this compassion program, he was not only taught about the power of forgiveness, it was modelled to him. And so our brother Jean-Claude ends up giving his life to Jesus... And staying as part of the Compassion Program and going through all of the different leadership training options that are there for young people that are part of our Compassion Program. And the hope is that along with all of these different physical and economic needs that are addressed, that we would see these children in the Philippines and Rwanda and all these different countries that we work become agents of gospel transformation in their communities. And this is the story of Jean-Claude. In 2004, he set up his own not-for-profit organization to help the children of the opposing tribe to see them be able to track through academic opportunities. Now, one of the children that came through his program that he personally supported was the son of the very people who took his own parents' life. And that young boy was not only supported through high school, but all the way through university and has also become an agent of change in his community. Folks, this is a wild story. But you know why it happened? Because this brother of ours met the risen Jesus. And he understood that to deny himself, pick up his cross and to follow Jesus meant that he would need to forgive. And that has transformed everything. Folks, I'm here this morning on behalf of Compassion to invite you to go deeper in this partnership, to see more of these wild stories lived out. And as I close, there's three ways that you can do that this morning. The first way is on the table outside, we've brought a bunch of children from the Philippines who are waiting to have a different narrative spoken over their lives. One of the kids here is a little guy called Alfred. He's been waiting 490 days for someone to pick him up and to say, I will stand with you and speak a different narrative over your life. Could that be you this morning? For those of you who are already sponsoring children, I would ask this question. Is there room at your table for more? Yes, it does cost $48 a month. Yes, there is lots of uncertainty in financial times. But folks, there is a world of pain out there and we need to be the light. The second way that you can partner with Compassion this morning is uh, you may have the ability to not just sponsor a child, but you may be able to meet the needs of projects in entire communities that would affect children and their families and many others. And so we've got projects called Critical Needs. If you want to find out about them, come and speak to Goddard or myself afterwards. And the third way that you can partner with Compassion this morning is Um, the only way that we can do things like this is because we have an army of volunteers with us. You may not have the financial means to contribute. Uh, You may not have the capacity to be able to bring more children around your table, but you may have time and energy that you can give. And if that is you this morning, please come and chat to God and myself after the service. We would love to speak with you. But let me close with this statement. What will radical discipleship look like for you? Maybe it is partnering with compassion. Maybe it is partnering with Opportunity International. Maybe it is partnering with another organisation. I'm not here this morning necessarily to tell you partner with compassion and compassion only. I'm here as your brother opening the word of God saying to you that as a disciple of Jesus, the option to do nothing is not an option. So whether it's Compassion or Opportunity International or World Vision or Water for Africa, I don't care. Just do something. Maybe it's as simple as getting to know your neighbours on your street. Maybe it's the sporting clubs that you're a part of actually deciding to unashamedly carry the torch of Christ into those spaces. Maybe it's in your workplaces, in your classrooms, in your universities, and to say that every single day I'm going to choose to walk down death row, I'm going to die to comfort and security, and I'm going to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Jesus. And whatever happens, so be it. So I'm here this morning to challenge you with this, folks. Doing nothing should not be an option As a disciple of Jesus. Now to do something, that's part of the adventure that you get to go on with Jesus. What does that look like for you? If you're here as a visitor and this is like, whoa, what's going on? I would encourage you before you leave, come and speak to one of the team here in Elevate and maybe find out the way that they are living out that radical mission and maybe there could be some points of intersection there. Who knows? Who knows? But more than anything else, folks, whether you end up calling this place your home or somewhere else, if you bow your knee to King Jesus, we are all called to this mission. The church in Perth is my family. I don't care about tribes and denominations. It's all my family. This is all the body of Christ and we are all called to this radical mission. And we need each other to do this because there is a world of pain outside these walls. And if we don't take the message of hope,